is The Next Trip Podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 111, operating on January 10th, 2022. This is Doug and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Drew, we mostly survived the final week of the busy holiday season, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we mostly survived with a reduced schedule, very minimal staffing, and a snowstorm on the East Coast and in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So it was slow going. So it's not just our airline, it's every airline. Staffing is tough to begin with. You know, you throw in a snowstorm, it's two hour delays easily. Yeah. So it was a struggle. You didn't have to, thankfully you were warm. You were in well, Hawaii. Well, I, then... I was, but I started out in Chicago and I didn't even realize that there was this this bad winter weather until you texted and said, well, I hope you're not flying east tonight. And I said, well, I'm going to Chicago. And you said, oh, that's that's the worst place you could possibly be going because <laughs> yeah. they were under winter storm warnings. The snow had mostly passed through by the time that we landed, but we we felt the effects of it because our flight was delayed and then our flight out the next day was delayed. And it's just these rolling delays that we've talked about where crews are out of place, where airplanes are out of place. And it's just it's hard. And it, you know, you, you wouldn't even think that a flight, like my flight from Chicago to LA after the storm was done, was feeling mm-hmm. the, ram- the ramifications of weather in other parts of the country. And and most people don't even think about that. They look at the at the weather forecast and they're like, oh, I'm leaving Orlando. This is going to be great. But if the airplane is coming in from Dulles or Newark or Detroit, where the weather is, mm-hmm. you're you're not out of you're not out of the woods because of that. And it's right. And if it's, it's not the airplane. It's that time of year. And if it's not the airplane, it's part of the crew could be coming from one of those hubs. Just because you're warm and sunny in California, the weather in Chicago, San Francisco, New York, it's going to affect you. Yeah. Doug, so this week, I'm trying to like forget it. You know, I'm trying to like leave that behind. But now I'm trying to remember what day it was. Um, It was just a couple days ago. So we got four inches of snow Mm -hmm. in the D.C. area. Just to give you an example, all of last year, during the whole winter season, we got 12 inches. Yeah. So in one day, we got, got a third, third of what we got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot heavy and fast. And what's worse, Doug, is it happened right during our morning departure bank. It's heavy to moderate snow. We have a reduced schedule, but 20 to 30 flights is still a lot of flights to get de-iced. Mm-hmm. So we let them go out there. Uh, we had a 787 take almost 45 minutes to yeah. get de-iced because it needs... We talked about this on an earlier episode. When it's snowing continuously, not only do you need to de-ice, which is green fluid, we also put in an orange fluid, which is the anti-ice. Mm-hmm. So it's two steps. And we talked about holdover time. Yeah, The holdover time starts when the last process is started. Mm-hmm. So that last process to put the anti-ice on a 787, you know how big that plane is. That could take 20 minutes. The holdover time is only 45 minutes. Yeah, not, not <laughs> so a lot of time. Gotta, <laughs> no. They got to book it to the runway or we have to start it all over again. And we actually had that. And no, I'm not blaming the airport, but they're in the process of clearing these runways and they can only do one at a time, right? Mm-hmm. You can't do all four at the same time. So the departure runway that's right near the de-ice pad wasn't available because that was being cleared of snow. So now this guy, the 787, has to taxi all across to runway one right, 
that alone is another 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. So we exceeded that 45 minute time, but this is what happened, Doug. We went from heavy snow to moderate snow. And that changed that the cha- holdover time. Yeah, by like the, the 40 hold- minutes. yeah, holdover time is based on the intensity. Right. So it didn't have to come back, but, and you may have this from your training. We didn't know it, but we saw that it was a requirement in our holdover tool. I'm sure that's the same one you guys use. Yeah. It said, yes, holdover time is increased, but a wing check is required. And I'm mm-hmm. like, so do I, does the airport have to go out? Do I have to send one of my guys to do the wing check? The no, apparently you yeah. look out the window, mm-hmm. just do a quick check. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I haven't had to do this, but if, if a wing check is required, we have to park somewhere leave the flight deck one of us leaves the flight deck and walks back and actually looks out the window over, yeah. over the wing. Yeah. So that's what we found um, that they could do it that way without one of us or someone from uh, airport ops going mm-hmm. out there. It was so nice to see that take off after almost an hour. Oh, I'm sure. Being, yeah. But then, you know, the snow stopped and then it was down to 25 minutes for a 787, 10 to 15 minutes for a 737. And then things were moving, but most of the bank had already gone. So we were looking at hour to two hour delays, which was horrible. It's funny, Drew, because when I landed in Kauai the other night, the gate agent met us at the gate and and we were just chatting with him for a little bit. And and he made the comment about, man, you guys are getting beat up on the mainland right now (laughs) because they don't don't see anything. They don't know the difference. (laughs) They don't see anything. Oh, it was horrible. I mean, the the one saving grace is, I, I don't know if you saw on the news, but I-95, people were on it overnight. Yeah, huge. In, was stopped. Yeah, in Virginia, right? Yeah, so thankfully, I'm a little bit away from that. Do you have any weather issues other than... No, it was uh, for the first time in probably a month, the flight from the Midwest to LA, from Chicago to LA, was smooth mm-hmm. as glass. No turbulence at all the entire flight. And I was in a max, which made it even smoother. It was just a, such a great flight, which is a, a big difference from the last month. We, we've talked about how it's been so windy and turbulent. And oh, and the headwinds weren't that great either. There, there was a point where we actually had a tailwind going west. Oh, wow. And we, we ended up okay. getting in earlier than the, the flight time had called for. Before we leave this, um, you know, this Debbie Danner conversation about the weather. <laughs> Guess what's happening tonight? Two to four inches in Washington, D.C., and I'm working the morning, so I'll be the cleanup crew. The cleanup crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you'll be getting angry texts from me in the morning. You'll be asleep, but I'll be like, I got to scream at someone, so I'll just let <laughs> <Doug> have it. <laughs> My phone will be on silent, so scream away. <laughs> Drew, it's, it's a new year, which means new resolutions that hopefully will still be alive a year from now. You did some Amazon shopping this week. I think it was Amazon, right? For some flying related equipment, specifically a joystick. What's this all about? Yeah, you're going to call me out on the podcast on this. So this is something I'm exploring. You know, I, I people probably know I started getting my private pilot's license. And at that time, I was already working for a regional airline mm-hmm. at SFO. And I was deciding what career path to take. It was expensive learning how to fly. And I was in the airlines and I'm like, you know, I think I want to be an airline ops manager. So that's the direction I went. But I told myself, I want to do this for fun eventually on my own, you mm-hmm. know, not for work, but just for fun. So you guys, I am, I'm going to look into, I'm exploring getting my private pilot's license and I'm probably over analyzing it because I have all the stuff that I need to read. And I have Microsoft Flight Simulator with a Piper Warrior, which is probably what I'll be flying loaded. <laughs> so today, 
<laughs> so today I went to this tiny airfield between DC and Baltimore. It's called Tipton Field. Okay. <laughs> it's really cute. It's just just a fee, just a couple FBOs, like some military operation, just tiny little field. And you can see the 737s going into Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So I met the owner. We talked. It was great. And then he was asking about my career. And I said, yeah, you know, I work for an express carrier at SFO. This is the difference between general aviation and airlines. So he, I can't, he, he said, oh, is that San Francisco? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really nice guy. So he owns that, that training school. So on the 18th and two weeks from now, I'm going to go and actually have a little training flight. That's awesome. Yep. And if that goes well and I love it, which I'm pretty sure I will, I'm going to um, proceed with it and get my private pilot's license. But then, you know, I sat with him and I was telling him everything that I have ready. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm thinking about making a binder and reading all the stuff from the FAA. And he's like, you need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Most people show, show up for their first flight with nothing. Yeah. But I'd, li- I'd rather be more prepared than less because... When I get into that little cockpit of that warrior, I want to feel like I'm in control. Because mm-hmm. last time, I don't, I don't know if you ever had this when you started your flying. It's that feeling of not being in control. I was not. It, it, Drew, every airplane that I go to that, that I've learned to fly the first month, couple months, I don't feel in control, whether it's in the Sims or actually flying the airplane. And, and I'm a I'm an experienced pilot. And I even in the 7-3. I didn't feel yeah. in control for the first couple of trips. It's it's just that well, that that new feeling that that it's something that you're not used to doing that's difficult. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I took a picture of the plane. I mm-hmm. took several pictures of the the cockpit because yeah. I want to memorize every instrument. And I don't know if you did this when you were a kid. I had a 747 cockpit poster in mm-hmm. my room. Yeah, I had a, a my goal triple seven triple seven. So my goal was to memorize and know what every single instrument was. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that now with the Piper Warrior. Because the thing is, you know, unlike driving a car, if you don't know, again, I'm overanalyzing. Unlike driving a car, if you don't know what something is, that could get you killed very easily. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. right. If you <laughs> yes. didn't check the carburetor heat or the mixture, you can't just pull over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm excited, but it's been so long that I've been in school. It's kind of awesome because it's it's nothing new it's just refreshing my knowledge he told me that you know those of us that go back when we're older to do it for fun he said we're actually the best students because we actually want to be there Mm -hmm. unlike someone who's trying to rush through to get their ratings so that they can move on yeah well and and you have a you have a lifetime of learning and experience and, and you know you're you're old enough that you know how you learn whereas as an 18 20 year old you're, you're still trying to figure out life. You, you have no idea what's going on and, and how to learn and how you succeed and how, how you how you fail, basically. But but you've been there, you've done that, and you know exactly the path that you need to take to get to that, that end goal, to get to the successful conclusion, which is hopefully a private pilot's license. We're, we're excited. Yeah. We're excited for you. And, and we hope to follow along and, and don't blow it out of proportion because then I'll have high expectations from the listener. Yeah. So just wait, just wait until a couple of flights, but no, it is very exciting. And I have like butterflies in my stomach and I mean, you know, I want to circle back to what you just said about it. It's, it's kind of, exciting. it's not circle back anymore. Uh, go around. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. go, go around back to what you said about being in school. Yeah. yeah. I think you made a comment last fall sometime I, I, I don't remember if it was on the podcast or just uh, text me 
about how it seems like I always enjoy school and going to learning. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I learned the seven yeah. degree and now I'm putting in for the triple seven. And and you're right. It, it's just that consistent learning and I do enjoy it. And you're starting to feel that that rush, I guess, of learning something new and, and knowing what that end goal is and getting to it and succeeding is just such a great feeling. Yeah. And to be honest, it's not you, people who are listening who are not who are starting their careers you would not believe you would think that this stuff would be easy for me because I'm an airport airline ops manager. What we do in my job is so I mean, we talk about anti ice, right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about departure fixes and all that. But we really don't get into it as much as you would think. We're, I'm running a business. It's like I'm running a facility and I'm and I'm a HR manager more than an aviation manager, because mm-hmm. my job is all about convincing people to do stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my job is about convincing the person who's been there eight hours to stay a few more hours to help us through the de-ice process. My job is to convince a senior triple seven captain, hey, can you take this plane to SFO? I know one of the lavatories doesn't work, but you're 50% full and we need to get the plane there so we can fix it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a psychology degree would have been more useful in what I do day to day. But but having said that, it is nice to get back to the basics. And this is something that I loved when I was a kid. And it's it's like being a kid again, because I'm really going through the basics of aviation. And it's so much fun. And I, I mean, if I do go through, well, we're going to talk about aviation stuff mm-hmm. anyway. But this is really, for the those of you that are listening, that are starting to get their private pilot's license, I really think that, you know, you and I can help them if I if I do this, yeah. because you'll have an experienced pilot who does it for a living as a professional and someone who's doing it for fun. Yeah. I think it'll be a good what do you call that when it's too a good juxtaposition of um, of uh, paths in aviation? Well, Drew, I, I think this is great for the listeners, too, because you've been in the industry for 30 years and now now you're, you're looking at getting your private pilot's license. It is never too late. And, and we keep saying that about joining I- about joining the industry, about starting something new. It is never too late to do something like this. I have to tell you something that uh, he told me, Terry, who is uh, the owner of this little FBO. You're not going to believe this. He has two guys that have retired from the Navy. Mm-hmm. One was a navigator on a, a P-3 Orion. It's one of those reconnaissance aircraft, yeah. I believe, at mm-hmm. the 737. So he was a navigator. No, the, the P-3 he, is, a, is a propeller plane. The P-8 is oh, the, se- the, the P-8 is 737, the P-8. and that's replacing the, the P-3. Okay, so they do similar functions. Mm-hmm. So this guy was a navigator on the P-3. He got his private pilot's license from this place. He became a CFI. And now he's applying to be, or no, he is at Republic flying an Embraer 175. Awesome. Guess how old he is? 55. Close, 53. Okay. Yep. It is never too late. And for the people that are listening, like our buddy Nate, um, Andy, who was on the show, mm-hmm. I've been talking to him. It's like, dude, you should do it. They are looking for pilots big time. Mm-hmm. Andy was concerned he didn't have a college d- degree. That, I mean, it will help, right? And he can get that online. Mm-hmm. But you guys that are listening, I am 50, I'll be 52 in February. And if there's people that are in their mid fifties, starting with the airlines as a second career is so true that it's never too late. Now, if you're 75, you're, you're, you're beyond, <laughs> you're, you're beyond, age, well, well, you're, you're beyond the age that you can fly for an airline, but you can still get flight lessons. And okay. I, I, there, I, I don't know if there is an age limit actually on a private 
pilot's license. We'll have to look into that. To work for the airlines, there's a limit, but yeah, you could be even older and get a private pilot's license, so it's never too late. All right, we got to move on. We have been hyping the end of 2021 a lot more than we normally do for <laughs> uh, our years on this podcast. Now we got to go back. I mean, we lied again. We said that we're looking forward. We're 2021 in the rearview mirror, but we have to talk about this because this is a great news story, Doug. It is. Yeah, this is from The Independent. It's titled 2021 was the safest year for flying since 2017. 81 people lost their lives in four fatal accidents in 2021, which is down from 299 in 2020. 2020 also had a lot fewer flights than 2021 due to pandemic cancellations and schedule changes. Relatively speaking, 2021 was the safest year globally since 2017. The fatal accident rate in commercial air transport is 1 in 5.3 million right now after 2021. That compares with 1 in 3.7 million in 2020. And it drew it almost doubled. The, hmm. the safety margin in 2021 almost doubled. And going back to what we talked about last year, I, I don't know if you remember one of those articles some industry analysts were saying that they thought that the incident rate would go up in 2021 because pilots mm -hmm. were sidelined. They weren't flying during the pandemic. Right, they, they wanted experience. Yeah, they thought that the training would would suffer and that pilots' preparedness would suffer. So far, that that hasn't happened. And a lot of the pilots who are grounded are back in the skies. I, I know not globally. There are still a lot of airlines where, where the pilots are grounded. But the, this is really good news. Only one major accident occurred. It was this uh, Sri... Let me see if I can. I haven't said this in, in a year. This Sriwijaya Air 737 <laughs> crash in Indonesia. The other three were small propeller aircraft. You know, you hear about incidents of people not being losing, like losing um, their recurrence or their memory of how to do things, but there haven't been crashes. So there's probably better cross checks and better backup procedures mm -hmm. where there's a way to. Uh, isolate those isn't this because 2020 we had those 737 max crashes no that was 2020 that was 2019 that 2020 20, late 2018 and early 2019 hmm. so i wonder what happened in 2020 we could go back and see but anyway no that's that's great news 81 people in the whole world <laughs> is that crazy mm -hmm. how safe aviation is no that's great so that's a good news story. Here's a, a bad news story. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Airlines cancel more than 1,000 flights for the 11th straight day. Doug, we kind of talked about this on the intro. Mm -hmm. This stretch is actually worse than when the pandemic first started. When the pandemic first started, we were canceling about 1,000 flights daily for 47 days. Just the first three days of this year saw between 2,000 and 3,500 daily cancellations. And it's not due to lack of demand. I mean, we all know these flights are full. That was the case in 2020, the lack of demand and the cancellations. This wave of cancellations is far-reaching. It's across all U.S. carriers who are blaming. Not, you don't want to say blaming. Well, yeah, <laughs> blaming is a bad word. Yeah, the reason um, for it. We are, I mean, the yeah, who are um, citing the reason being winter storms across much of the Midwest and East Coast, as well as crew availability due to Omicron. And this is a quote from an Alaska spokeswoman. She said, like many other airlines, this latest surge of COVID is driving higher than usual absences among all our work groups. That could be from my airline. That could be from Tyler's airline. That could be from any airline in the U.S. right now, what she said. Yeah. Well, it's not even just the U.S. It's the world, too. I saw the other day, what one of the days when the U.S. canceled 2,500 flights, I think. I saw that globally there was something like 6,000 flights canceled that day. And all the airlines are, are citing Omicron as one of, one of the big reasons for it. Going back to, to that first bullet talking about 2020, 
that 47 straight days of over a thousand flight cancellations, that was 100% because of a lack of demand. That was airlines canceling flights because no one was flying. They had built Mm -hmm. the schedule six, nine months in advance. And now all of a sudden come March, April, May, no one is flying. And, and instead of flying empty planes, they, they cancel them. No, this is not due to lack of demand. We would, we would love to fly more flights right now. And we have the, we have the load factor. We just don't have the staffing and the, you know, the weather issues we talked about. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing it a lot, Drew, uh, a lot of open trips popping up more, more than have in, in any previous month. And I'm, I'm guessing well, your schedule has been, I mean, I, I don't think the company wants to ferry you because um, for the listeners, Doug has been sitting in a first class seat, getting paid <laughs> just recently from Luhui. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I keep harping on this. <laughs> and it's because the crew scheduling is so crazy right now. They're literally shipping pilots around mm-hmm. because to fill, you know, everything's changing so much. Yeah. To, to fill the, the void where people are dropping out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully, what, hopefully it, it'll end up being like what South Africa is saying, where the the cases are are dropping, and this is just uh, for the month of January, basically, until the wave passes. Well, yeah, I, in the UK, they're saying the stocks are starting to go back up because they're seeing a rainbow at the uh, on the horizon because mm-hmm. even their their um, infections are reducing now. Drew, this next news story is actually really good. This is from Reuters. Elite, well, really good, I guess, if you're Boeing. <laughs> Not really good for Airbus. The title is Allegiant buys 50 new Boeing 737 MAX jets in strategy shift. Allegiant, which is a U.S.-based ultra-low-cost carrier, confirmed plans to buy 50 new 737 MAX jets worth $5.5 billion. The airline currently operates a fleet of 110 A319s and A320s, all of which were purchased used and will continue... The airline said it'll continue to expand its Airbus fleet on the used market. So it's not moving away from Airbus completely. But this new order, 30 of which will be for the 737 MAX 7, 20 will be for the 737 MAX 8-200, the higher density version first ordered by Ryanair. Deliveries will begin in 2023 and conclude in 2025. Allegiant has found large success throughout the pandemic, mainly due to the increase in leisure demand to vacation destinations, something Allegiant had already primarily focused its operations on before the pandemic. The new planes will provide the ability to grow to 400 more new routes, according to Allegiant CFO Greg Anderson. He also said that the airline's bookings now eclipse that of the same period in 2019. This is all, all around. <laughs> this is crazy. All around. This is great. News. Great story. So many concerns here, though. So they're an Airbus carrier that is now going to the max. And we know why that is. <laughs> Airbus has so many orders for the A220. Yeah. That uh, the Boeing looks attractive again because it's available. That and cost. Jo- John Osterauer from the yes. Air Current made a really good point the other day when he said that, or, or was it him or was it Cranky Flyer? I, I, one of them made made a comment about how Allegiant is a bottom feeder, and and he he said I, I mean this in in the most respectful way possible. He he said I like Allegiant, but they are they go for the lowest bidder, and right now Boeing has the cheapest prices because not a lot of people are buying the Max. I feel like yeah, I, I, I feel like if all things equal, if the prices were the same, if the line to get the airplanes was the same, I feel like Allegiant probably would have stuck with Airbus. But they're looking at this saying, we need the airplanes and we need the airplanes now and we don't want to pay a lot for them. Let's go ahead and, and 
and do this order. We need to find a list price for the 737 700 and the A220. So, I mean, just glancing through this, the A220 has a 7% fuel savings advantage over the, the 737-700. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not available immediately. Yeah. So, um, what, yeah, that's interesting. What, what did you find on the 737 MAX 8-200, though? <laughs> what, <laughs> what I found on that is exactly what it says, 200, which is scary. So just last episode, we were shocked that uh, the 737 you flew a dash 900 had 189 seats. So this is smaller. No, <laughs> it, it, didn't, it didn't have 189 seats. That's how many people were on board. There, there were some infants that the, the parents were holding for flight attendants and oh, jump I see seats. Yeah, but, but still the fact that the load was 189 was crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. But Doug, I don't think the capacity is much less than 189. 179, I think, is the uh, of the 900. 179, you're yeah. saying? All right, give me a second here. So it is, uh, it is 179. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, reaching 200. That, that, that's with that is with first class. That's with you know more legroom seats and all that. So if this is 200 on it on a could we have 220 people? <laughs> think about a max nine in the high density configuration mm -hmm. that's got to be at least 230 people yeah uh boeing please don't listen to what we're saying right now because <laughs> we really don't want you replacing everything with the 737 because now you're approaching 787-8 numbers a 787-8 in three cabins 243 seats mm -hmm. so we're getting kind of kind of kind of close to that i'm happy that they ordered 3737 max 7s that is i love that plane that's that's my hot rod our airline has not ordered it. I hope they will, but we'll see. And it looks like our smallest one is probably going to be the the Dash 8. Mm -hmm. Can you believe Allegiant had 110 planes? No, I didn't know they were that big. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, that's a lot of planes. And also, they're saying their bookings are eclipsing 2019, which makes sense because they're a leisure, mostly domestic carrier. Mm -hmm. And that's where, I, I mean, you and I talked, I, I think I mentioned like where you're flying, it's like, Allegiant destinations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to vacation destinations, sunny Florida. Yeah. That's where everyone wants to be right now. I've got a lot of Florida this month. I'm doing Cancun this weekend. I just got back from Lahui. Yeah. That's it, it's winter and it's COVID mm -hmm. and people can't really leave the country per se. I, I know Mexico is leaving the country, but no, no Asian destinations, European destinations. Really, it's it's difficult. People want to go to warm places and, and they're traveling in mass numbers to, to warm places and the airlines are flexing the schedule to allow for that. And that's why Allegiant is succeeding so well and, mm -hmm. and spirit to some extent, too. Right. Yeah, I was going to see, say no overseas destinations, but you just came back from overseas. So even that doesn't count. <laughs> All right. So this this Doug, this article is interesting <laughs> because we need to look into this because there's a lot of. Well, let, let's just talk a lot about of moving, so this is moving parts, a lot of moving parts, and not everyone is on the same page on this, mm -hmm. although I hope it happens. I think it's a great idea. So this is from Business Traveler magazine, Kenya Airways and South African to merge, which is huge, right? And it, it's interesting because it's not in the, the other major newspapers. Business Traveler is saying these two airlines signed a strategic partnership agreement last year, which they did. But a New Year's address from Kenya's president said that the two airlines actually plan to merge by 2023, creating an airline that will be called Pan-African Airline. The president said, 
quote, to boost tourism, trade, and social engagement, and to bolster continental integration, our national carrier Kenya Airways will join hands with our partners in South Africa to establish a pan-African airline. Both airlines confirmed a possible merger in a joint statement. One of the pillars to achieve this is coming together and combining assets to provide a more robust and ultimately competitive aviation ecosystem to pursue the commercial viability of both carriers. That's from both. So far, um, no details have been announced which uh, alliance they may join. But Doug, I have a concern. This is mostly coming from the Kenyan side, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering how much of this is politics, because th- this is from the Kenyan president. And you know, presidents usually overpromise. <laughs> yeah. South African has been kind of quiet about this, right? We don't have any statement from uh, the country of South Africa or South African Airlines. Yeah. But I went and I did find something. This is a statement from South African Airlines. Give me a second here. So what you're saying is, did he overstep in a way and and say that this strategic partnership is actually going to be a, a merger. And by, say, by, by saying it, kind of like Kennedy, Kennedy saying we're going to the moon, we're going to the by moon. the end of the decade, and everyone at NASA was like, oh, we haven't even started preparing for it. Let's let's get our, our protractors and well, whiz wheels out. Well, it's like one of our major airlines saying that they are going to be flying supersonic before the end of the decade, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Even though there's no, there's not even a, a piece of the plane that's made yet. <laughs> but uh, okay, so this is from um, a South African spokesperson. So this is what we're hearing from South African. Vimla Maestri, who's their spokesperson, clarified on Monday that no such movement was on the cards. Maestri, however, added that plans to cooperate initially announced in September last year were moving ahead. He or she said, in quotes, the plan is to leverage both networks for the benefit of customers extensive code share, for example, and leverage operational efficiencies between the two, but the brands will operate independently. Mm-hmm. So I think this was her way of putting the cat back in the bag because, I mean, what the president said, that probably is what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but they just don't want everyone to know about it yet. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Well, it, it, it does. It, and it has worked in other parts of the world where you have joint ownership of airlines. Look at Air France, KLM, it's joint ownership. Look at Lufthansa, right. Swiss, Austrian, and Brussels. Joint, IAG. Joint British ownership. British Airlingus is part of IAG. So it does work in other, other places in the world. Possibly this could work, but I, I feel like if you have two struggling airlines and you're trying to get these cost synergies... Why operate mm-hmm. as separate brands? I understand the national pride, but you're not really going to be able to get the synergies. It's just two airlines owned by the same group in a way. If 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 you were to actually merge them, then you can have pilots who can fly in both places. They can fly mm-hmm. out of any city in South Africa. They can fly out of any city in Kenya. I think that makes that makes the most sense. Especially th- think of it this way: South Africa is very geographically challenged. There is very little connectivity that can go through South Africa. Most of it is mm, right. It's just yeah, it's not in the center. It's just O and D. It's people mm-hmm. in the U.S. who are going to Cape Town, and Johannesburg. It's people in yeah. South Africa who are going to Europe, Asia, and the United States. Not a lot of connecting flows that far south because the geographic landmass kind of favors the northern hemisphere. Unfortunately, now Kenya, on the other hand, is closer to the mm-hmm. equator. They are closer to the Gulf, which is where Emirates, Etihad, and Qatar are running their mm-hmm. massive hubs through. Kenya 
could compete with Ethiopia. Ethiopian is, right. is turning into, I, I, I hesitate to say major global player, but they're moving in that direction. And I think, yeah, I think yeah. that this is South African Airways way of, first of all, coming back from the dead. They almost died last year and in 2020 with COVID. I mean, they, they weren't even flying a single airplane for almost a year. That's how close to, to death this airline came. I think this is a way to salvage what is left of South African and to harness, I guess you could say, the geography of Kenya. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm looking at the map right now. Kenya is right on the equator. So with this partnership with a hub in Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya, they could easily connect people from Europe and the US to the Indian subcontinent, Mm -hmm. to Singapore, Southeast Asia, China. I know Ethiopian is doing a lot of traffic to China, like taking people from here, Mm -hmm. from the East Coast to China. It could, it would definitely work out. Yeah. And Pan-African, that's kind of cool. It's cool. It kind of reminds me of Pan-American. It's almost like, yeah, I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's it's almost like Pan Am. Now here here's a question though. At, at the last bullet that we talked about was no details have been announced about which alliance. South alliance. South African is Star. Kenya mm-hmm. Airways is they're not a full member of Sky Team. I think they're called an associate member. I, I don't know what, what that means exactly. If if this Pan African airline does go through what alliance are they going to be in? An associate that that's when you are training to be in that alliance. Sri Lankan Airlines is part of One World, and before that, they were, they were an, an associate, associate member. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Cathay Pacific was their sponsor, so to speak. Got it. Between Sky Team and Star Alliance, which which alliance do you do you think they should join? I which wow, <laughs> I, it's it's a difficult question because which alliance I think they should join is well, no, or, or just don't don't make it personal. Just from a spreadsheet perspective, spread if you were in the corporate offices of of Air France yeah. and the corporate offices of South South African mm-hmm. spreadsheet. What are you thinking? S- spreadsheet in me says I think that Sky Team is going to make a big push to keep them because if they go star, Sky Team loses Africa. Right now, Kenya Airways is the only thing that Sky Team has. If you look at Star, mm-hmm. Star has South African right now, Ethiopian. Ethiopian and Egypt Air, and if you look at One World, they've got Royal Air Morocco. So if this new Pan-African airline were to stay in Star and Kenya leaves as an associate member, then Sky Team loses Africa. You did make a point yesterday, though, when, when we were talking about this offline, that both KLM and Air France are huge in Africa. So they do, they do right. have that, but they lose the organic African connectivity, the organic wow. African right. airline. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. But do they have... Okay, so do, they don't have a partner... They have a partnership with Kenya Airways, which is small. So that's not a huge organic African base that they can draw from, right? Because that's not a huge airline. No, and I think I, I, I'm going to look this up right now because I think KLM actually owns a minority stake in Kenya. In Kenya. Yeah. Okay. I, I think they will join Star just because if they join Sky Team, now you have two reasonably sized African carriers. Do Air France and KLM want to share that African traffic with these carriers? Because they're going to demand to share some of these routes, right? Because that's their home countries. I don't know. And, you know, um, South African is already in Star Alliance. Mm-hmm. And South African is the bigger carrier. So would South African leave Star to go to a, an alliance where, you know, they don't have the relationships yet? I think Kenya we'll see. I think Kenya Airways is actually bigger now. COVID really slashed 
South Africans reach and number of airplanes mm-hmm. that they have. I just looked it up. KLM has a 7.8% stake in Kenyan Airways, oh, which okay. means I, so, I don't yep. I don't think the KLM would be upset with Kenya being with, with this new Pan-African airline being part of it. Yeah, now that you've said that, it, I would be shocked if they didn't go to Sky Team, especially if they if KLM owns part of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, we'll see what happens. And we'll see if this was just a political statement or if there's actually plans in place to do this. Yeah, we'll, we'll follow along. We actually talked a lot longer about this topic than I thought we would. It's It really is very interesting. Drew, another topic that we've talked about quite a bit is the 5G rollout in the U.S. and the drama associated with it. The FAA and the airlines fought back its introduction last month, and it was delayed to the first week of January. Well, Verizon and AT&T this week agreed to a voluntary two-week extension on the rollout delay, which means it won't go live until January 19th. We mentioned that we'd circle back or do a go-around on this topic (laughs) a few episodes ago. What do we actually know? All right. We know that the root cause of this is this issue with C-band airwaves, which is where the 5G telecommunications services operate. This band, Doug, is very close to the band where critical aviation systems operate, though there is a buffer. 5G will operate on frequencies from 3.7 to 3.98 gigahertz. Aviation uses 4.2 to 4.4 gigahertz for critical flight instruments like radio altimeters. Nearly 40 countries around the world have rolled out 5G in this band and aviation has safely coexisted to this point a point that communications trade group CTIA pointed out in a December 22nd statement. A4A, Airlines for America, an airline trade group, rebutted that. They said, quote, aircraft will not be able to rely on radio altimeters for numerous flight procedures and thus will not be able to land at certain airports, which is a concern. Doug, this seems like a lot of back and forth, and we don't know yet what the solution is. But from a pilot's perspective, what might some of the restrictions actually be if the network is given a green light? Drew, what what we've been told is that in cities where 5G is operating, especially close to the airport, the airports and the FAA will issue a notum, a notice to airmen saying there's 5G near the airport. And what that'll do is it'll limit us to the types of approaches that we can fly. What will be allowed is Category 1 ILS and basic GPS approaches, which means that if the ceilings are below 200 feet and there's a notum at this field, we we can't shoot that approach. We can't get in. For instance, right now in San Francisco, if there's fog and the visibility is zero, you can do a cat mm-hmm. a category three ILS to an auto land where you can land with zero visibility. If there's a notum in place saying that 5G is operating nearby, now all of a sudden when San Francisco goes zero vis, which it does from time to time throughout the year, every single flight into there will will be rerouted, canceled, can't operate, can't operate into there. So what this does is it eliminates wow. the ability to do CAT 2 ILS landings, which is 100-foot ceilings, CAT 3, mm-hmm. zero vis, any auto land, and RNAV RNP, which is a, a very specific GPS approach, a re- required navigation performance is what RP, RNP stands for. Drew, that's what we did on the milk run. Those approaches okay. through the fjords uh-huh. into those small airports, yeah. those were all RNAV RNPs. So now all of a sudden, if there's 5G operating in those areas... Alaska can't even get in with their 737s for the milk run if if the mins are are down and the clouds are are down. Interesting. This didn't come out of nowhere though, which I I think this caught a lot of people by surprise because the media is just now reporting on it. But Boeing and IKO both raised concerns as early as 2018, and and here's the reason why. 
Drew, we've we've talked about this a lot. We didn't know the nuts and bolts, so we actually did the research on it so that we we can wrap our minds around what's going on. While there is a buffer because 5G is supposed to stop at 3.98 gigahertz, the issue at hand, which hasn't been widely reported, is that satellites that broadcast 5G are equipped to broadcast between 3.7 and 4.2 gigahertz, which is where the aviation band begins. And a side note, I found a white paper from Boeing published in 2018 that explains it a little bit a little bit better. Think of it this way, Drew, and the listeners. As you're driving in your car listening to the radio, when you get out of range of one station you're listening to and another station begins to bleed over and interfere with the broadcast, it's not dangerous, it's just frustrating. But with aviation, if you're conducting an approach to a runway in zero visibility, which I mentioned earlier as a Cat 3 ILS, even the thought that there is a possibility, albeit a small one, that your instrumentation might malfunction is enough to give pause to any pilot. Despite this not happening yet in countries where 5G is used, doesn't mean that it can't happen, which is why the FAA and aviation industry is paying close attention to this topic for several years. Ultimately, Boeing and Garmin concluded in tests that everything over 4.0 gigahertz does interfere with aircraft altimetry. So the buffer communications companies are saying Mm -hmm. that there is a 0.22 buffer Mm -hmm. because aviation starts at 4.2 and they're they're stopping at 3.98. What Boeing and Garmin concluded is that anything over 4 gigahertz interferes with aircraft altimetry. So the buffer is actually 0.02, not 0.22. And that's, that's where the issue lies is is that buffer big enough? I wonder if it's easy just to to uh, restrict that buffer to like three point eight, you know, so it's it's not so close. Yeah, I think th- if that's what so if, yeah, so if they're saying Boeing and Garmin concluded test anything over four, and you're saying broadcast five G are equipped to broadcast between three point seven and four point two, can we dial it down to three point nine and end this concern? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that restricts the the bandwidth though because if if 5g is only operating between 3.7 and 3.9 does that restrict it to the point where it's not useful you know what i mean like why why did they why did they choose 3.98 i'm sure there's a reason for it yeah no doug this is really good research i think if the faa brought in an expert witness they should bring in boeing and garmin to say yeah if they're transmitting at Mm 4.2 It, and Garmin is they, they make these devices, so they would know. Yeah, I'm really surprised though that we had to do this level of research because th- this has been widely reported for the last month, but it doesn't get into the nuts yeah. and bolts of the why. It, all it's talking about is the fight between the two government agencies. It's saying that the FCC right. is fighting with the FAA, the Federal Communications Commission is fighting with the FAA. It doesn't talk about this white paper. It doesn't talk about the gigahertz. It, like we we had to do a lot of background to even find this. Why is this not being mm-hmm. reported? Why is this not being talked about? Communicate. You would think with all these communications departments that everyone has, it would be better so that even people, we're professionals in the aviation industry, and this is something that's going to possibly significantly affect our business, mm-hmm. but we don't know exactly. It's so vague, it was, right? It was confusing it's to like us. That, it's just confusing to us. And it's like the Boeing MCAS. You know, we were like talking around the issue for months and like, oh, let's actually find out what they did to fix it. Mm-hmm. And then once we did, we're like, okay, now I feel better because we have concrete knowledge of what's going on. Yeah, That is starting to make my mind hurt a little bit <laughs> because <laughs> number one, I, you know, it's, it, I don't understand radio waves as much as 
most a lot of people do because when I'm not an expert in that and my mind hurts thinking of the mayhem it's going to cause if I am working mm-hmm. and these planes can't land and they have to divert all over. Well, glad there are smarter people than us doing this research, Doug. What do you say we cover some listeners' feedback to get back into our comfort zone? <laughs> yeah, it's something that we can all understand. We did. We received a great message from a listener, Mike. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening. He said, hey, Doug and Drew, thank you for everything you put into the podcast. I've been listening since the start. Your podcasts are always a high point of my week. He went on with a lot of really great things to say and here are a couple of the highlights. He said that he loved that we ended the year with a combo of wine and flying. And I I think we knew that that would be a hit with the listeners. (laughs) Glad you enjoyed it, Mike. He also said he had a specific wine in Lufthansa first class this fall that tasted amazing at altitude, but not as great Hmm. back on the ground when he found it at a local wine store. (laughs) So maybe there is maybe there is some truth to this. Next time the flight attendant tells you it was a red blend. Can you ask her to bring the bottle over, take a picture of it and just remember exactly how it tasted? Mm -hmm. And then drive to beverages and more or wherever you shop. Get that same bottle and try and remember if it tastes the same. Yeah. We can do our own scientific test, right? This is so funny to me because <laughs> everything tastes better in Lufthansa first class. <laughs> you could hand me like a bowl of dishwater in Lufthansa first class. And I'd be like, oh, my God, this is exquisite. How do you do this? But on the ground, it's going to taste like dishwater. <laughs> and you, someone actually said this, you know, and it, it's not it's only av geeks we think anything tastes delicious on an airplane even those ginger cookies that people rave about biscoff mm-hmm. or whatever yeah <laughs> i was on a lufthansa flight with a friend when i worked at was it reno where yeah we were on a passes we were on a lufthansa 747 to frankfurt mm-hmm. and we had just finished our lunch and then lufthansa had sandwiches in the galley and i was like oh my god <laughs> so i brought it back <laughs> i was so excited so i brought it back and i sat down it's like look, Brenda, they have sandwiches in there. And I was like scarfing them down. And she was like rolling her eyes like, you're only saying that because it's on an airplane, <laughs> which is it's so true. true. It's an egg salad sandwich. Yeah. I, I will tell you, though, my dinner I had the other night from Lahui was excellent. It did look excellent. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't chicken. chicken <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I sent that to Matt or the cargo pilot that we had on the show. And he said, is this the famous chicken orzo? <laughs> and I said, no, this is yeah. so much better than that. <laughs> it's so asian themed right even though hawaii is part of the u.s it's very asian themed yeah, menu you had a, a guava cake you had sushi you had you what you had was chicken tonkatsu yeah. is that the way they defined that's, it yeah it is that's how they defined it mm-hmm. yeah got it and and they yeah. they actually the flight attendant said that he he didn't put the the curry on he let me do it myself because he said he wasn't sure how much mm, how much i wanted I dumped that whole, mm-hmm. I dumped that whole thing on it. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't pull it back. <laughs> no, it looked really good. Yeah. And then uh, once again, you know, we're all bitter on our little chat, AvGeek chat line because you sent us these pictures and you're sitting there getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> you're working. I don't know if people can see the air quotes, but you are working <laughs> on that flight. <laughs> Drew, Mike also asked a great question about how airports choose the gates that planes will arrive at, aside from international arrivals and wide bodies that goes without saying. Drew, I'm curious about this as well, because some of my flights change three or four times in flight. We'll get ACARS messages saying that our gate has changed. I'm sure that you have the inside scoop on this. This is an excellent question, Doug. He said um, the arrivals, and you're asking about arrivals, aside from international arrivals and wide bodies, this is such a good question. On a blue sky day where the schedule is operating as planned, 
the gates are specifically planned for the departure, not necessarily not necessarily for the, the arrival. Okay. They're planned for the departure. So what we'll do is, for example, you know, our flights leave in banks. Mm-hmm. So you have this whole line of flights. The gate manager puts them together. And when we get the schedule from corporate, there's someone at my office who spends her whole day. That's what she does. Assigning she makes sure everything fits. Yes, it's a very difficult job. I mean, you would think with all this automation yeah. that it would be automatic. It's not because there's so many intricacies. So just to give you an example, your arrival is based on the departure more than the arrival. Okay. Unless, and, and we'll talk about the exceptions in a second, but on a blue sky day, it's based on what the departure is. And the departures are spread by at least a five minute difference in push time. Mm-hmm. You don't want one flight leaving at 835 and the next flight leaving at 836. So you want to keep some separation because what happens if you both push at the same time, you're going to have congestion and one of the flight is going to have to hold for the other one to taxi out. Mm-hmm. So that's a consideration. What about runways, like d- direction that the flight is going? What, whether yes. it's e- yeah, e- that's eastbound the other or westbound with the parallel runways in use? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for example, she will put all the westbound departures on a certain side so that it's like a ballet when they push back all the westbound flights will turn and they'll all go the same direction and the flights going in the northeast turn the other direction because more than likely they'll be using different runways at dulles if the weather is calm the westbounds will be using runway 30 that'll shoot you off going northwest mm-hmm. so that you have a clean shot out west and then the flights going to new newark and boston will depart on one right which is dr- almost directly north mm-hmm. So that's how they're planned out. So that that's a good day, right? That's that's how it's supposed to happen. But irregular ops is a normal thing that we have every day. And you said, why is your gate changing three to four times? Mm-hmm. So for the arrivals, as I said, the arrival, that plane is all about the departure, not so much the arrival. So if you're coming in, Doug, and the plane, the gate that you're supposed to occupy has a flight there that's delayed for whatever, mm-hmm. that's why you're going to see a gate change. The other reason why you might see a gate change is your plane that you're flying in is now representing something else. It was supposed to turn for Washington Dulles at gate F-19. Now it's going to San Diego. Okay. We don't change the the departure gate. We change the arrival gate. And why do we do that? You have 150 to 200 people that are at the departure gate for San Diego. Mm -hmm. So now... If your plane is doing San Diego, you're going to go to the gate where that where those 150 people. So are. you don't make the people move because the so we yeah, don't make the people. The, move. the airplane is easy to to shift gates. Yeah, that that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And then here's another question that relates to that. So you're on the ground. Your gate is occupied. Mm-hmm. You as Doug or you as a customer, you're looking. You see like three other gates open, mm-hmm. and you're like, why can't we just park at one of those other gates? If your flight is early and it's a short wait, we are going to hold you for the original gate. Because of that same reason, there's 150 people. Mm -hmm. It throws it out of sync. To save 10 minutes to move you, do we really want to move 200 people and their bags and the cargo for that departure to another gate? That causes a lot of mayhem. All these people have boarding passes with that departure gate. It, you know, and this is an international airport that I work in. Some people have a hard time just finding their gate. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to change it. Connections. Doug, you're flying in. What was your last flight from Lihui, right? Mm -hmm. No, let's do it. No, let's use your example. You're flying in and you talked about people going to Honolulu with a PCR test that's about to expire. Mm-hmm. Remember, yeah. we will change your arrival gate 
<laughs> to park right next to the Honolulu flight if we can, uh, because we only tight, have tight minutes. Connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why the other flight is now, someone took our gate. Why, why is our gate? And, you know, we don't want to have a conversation with you on the air to ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's why you have to wait for 15 minutes, because these people, if they don't get on that flight to Honolulu, they're not going to get home mm-hmm. tonight. We use all of our gates during the major banks. There's no, there's no cushion. There's no empty spare gate. If you're coming in and you're seeing that your gate is changing, that could also be because the gate that you're arriving at, that plane is on maintenance. We don't have another gate. So now you're holding for another gate. So that's going to cause a gate mm, change too. Okay. So you're going to come in and you're gonna, we're going to hold you for whatever is leaving first, or we will tow off another plane. Um, that that's leaving later, bring you in and then bring that other plane in. And sometimes, you know, when the <clears throat> operation is so bad, there's thunderstorms, there's delays, there's mechanicals. We're just looking for a piece of concrete. <laughs> it's not scientific yeah. anymore. <laughs> We're just all, trying. The, all of her hard work and everything planning goes out the window. Oh, and here's another one. If your plane is out there on a taxiway for over two hours, we're bringing you back to whatever gate is open right then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we want to stop that, that, uh, you know, the, offer customers egress yeah. and stop that clock. The tarmac delay. Yeah. On a blue sky day, it's all about the departure. And just like you said, the way they're going to taxi when they push back, what the separation is between them so they don't block each other. You know, one other thing. So, you know, you we use every gate, but you flew in during the noon bank once mm-hmm. and we don't have a full concourse. Then we can change all the arrivals to the center of the concourse where all, most of the restaurants and the the, the train, train and the mobile lounge are because remember how we walked from your gate to flight ops and it was very close because yeah. during the noon bank we don't have a full bank so we'll we'll put everyone closer yeah, together it, so that that affects the ter- bit well and the terminal is almost a mile long and if if you're parking airplanes out at the end and people are having to connect all the way down then that's unfortunate for the the passengers yeah that drew that's that's yeah, all very okay. fascinating most of that i actually didn't know I, I learned a lot and I'm, I'm sure the listeners did too. So thank you for that. Speaking of the listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so you can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks, Doug. You know, we got a, a laugh on from our last episode because <laughs> when we finished it, we said, yeah, and we had 100% completion. So <laughs> Mike, one of my... <laughs> Mike, one of our, my friends who works at corporate, he said um, that just made the whole sh- whole show because he got a laugh out of that. <laughs> it's not we're not trying to be funny. I mean, we we are all about you know <laughs> running the schedule like it's an airline, right? Hundred percent completion factor. So I told him we should they should have a a, a uh, podcast like a DOP Department of Podcasts <laughs> where they track like the completion factor <laughs> and the delays because <laughs> we we would be number one. <laughs> All right. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 